for the world-famous YourGameSource.com podcast. It's, once again, me, Yes, Elvis Lives, better known as Gerald, and I've got three great individuals as part of the staff here today to talk the evolution of JRPGs and, and where they're headed. And uh, we really want to touch on the subject for quite some time because the fascination that, that a lot of people have with JRPGs and to see where, in their minds, that they think the uh, genre is going to next. Uh, and so I have three great individuals, uh, three experts, in my opinion, anyways, on this subject. First off, I'm going to start with, he's better known as the Nesta. It's Joel. How are you this evening, Joel? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you as part of the podcast. And we have also on as well, the lovely Steph Tafu. Yeah, I remember that T now, so... I think I'm doing better on that. How are you, Steph? <laughs> How are you doing? Now that I have my dinner, I'm doing pretty damn well. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And last, but certainly not least, he is uh, certainly always welcome as part of the podcast. It's none other than Super Pouring, a.k.a. Jeremiah. How are you, sir? Yellow, yellow. Doing pretty good. Um, and like I said, I've been wanting, uh, you know, I, I know you've seen me written about this to the staff and, and notes, and I've talked to you personally about it, Jeremiah, about how much I've wanted to get you three together for a a discussion uh, on JRPGs um, as far as it's concerned and where the Japanese-based role-player games genre is headed to. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to touch on it uh, quite a bit lately is because the two even though the video game industry is sort of down as a whole, uh, there's got to be two successes that have come out, at least in the first uh, quarter of this year, or the first third, as it were. Um, I th- and that's uh, two games, Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch, and also as well, Fire Emblem Awakening. Uh, those two JRPGs, uh, as far as concerned, have exceeded uh, their up. Ep- their expectations, not only internally in in Japan, but also when they were shipped abroad, because um, usually the the expectations are not as high for whatever reasons. And I think we're going to delve that into that more a bit tonight. But uh, both those games have not only exceeded critical aspirations, but also as well, um, whenever it comes comes right down to it these days, financial aspirations as well, both in Europe and in the United States, uh, North America, as it were. Uh, so I want to touch on that, plus also as well, um, you know, you can't talk JRPGs without Final Fantasy, so we'll discuss a little bit of Final Fantasy later on, and where, uh, again, where JRPGs are headed. So uh, my first question is actually going to be for you, Joel. Uh, yeah. As far as, uh, let's say, your thoughts this year coming into it, you had an extensive list, which we re- reposted on your the Nesta page uh, at yourgamesource.com, on uh, what JRPGs that you really were looking forward to. Um, tell me your thoughts as you were going into the year on the first part of it when it concerned mainly your thoughts on uh, Nino Kuni and how Nino Kuni and also as well Fire Emblem were going to be. Because I know you were truly excited even before that they were coming out to the market, correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, going into this year, uh, we're getting to the end of the console generation. And um, there are still a few loose ends to tie up as far as the RPGs go. And, you know, in one of those cases is Nino Kuni, which it has a interesting history 
uh, in Japan of at first being this DS game that came out and it was kind of this half half finished project that uh, you know ha- had kind of middling reception over there. And finally, the PS3 game came out, and things got a bit better for that, and then it started ramping up to the release over here where people started getting excited, and I think they were getting excited for the same reason I was, that this was kind of a return to form for, for JRPGs in terms of, like, the production value and kind of the the marketing behind it, the the word of mouth. Like, it was a really exciting time to, to, see, that, to, to see that coming out. If I may ask... If I may oh, yeah. ask you real quickly, my apologies, Joel. You said that maybe Japanese companies had strayed away from that. How so, if I may ask, in previous years? Um, in previous years, like, I mean, I think we're going to touch on this a bit later, but uh, JRPGs haven't been quite mainstream for for a while now, at least this last generation. Um you know, they were really big during the, the PS2 era. They, they continue to be big. Um, and then going into the 360 PS3 era, uh, it just kind of slowed down because these these games costed a lot more money for developers to work on, and Japanese developers started uh, looking towards smaller projects, started looking towards handheld platforms like the DS and the PSP. And... I think while there are certainly some good games on those platforms in that genre, um, the genre as a whole suffered from where it used to be, where it used to be just this magnificent, you know, display of of horsepower and what you could do in a game uh, in, with every aspect of it, you know? No, absolutely. Uh, and I just, you know, reading into, you know, 2012 and going into 2013, um, and seeing your and reading your excitement for both both those games, uh, it, it just looks like you know you were so excited for them. And obviously, by reading your reviews, uh, which they can still find today on a reviews page at yourgamesource.com, both those games met your expectations. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, Nino Cooney, uh, I still feel pretty strongly about. I think that the way I played it uh, sort of came back and, and bit me in the bu- behind, you know, because uh, I ended up spending a lot of extra time in the game that I could have progressed forward with, and, you know, it wouldn't have been stretched as thin for me. So mm-hmm. by the time I was done with the game, I was kind of like, oh, thank God, it's over, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but with Fire Emblem, that's more than exceeded any expectation that I had for that game. Because you played through it three times? Yes, Three times I've played through Fire Emblem. I'm at about 200 hours on it. Very, very nice. Very nice. Now, Steph, you've played extensively as well after, you know, seizing it from Jeremiah, as it were. And rightfully so, I might add. Uh, As far as going into the year, as far as JRPGs, did you hold the same hope as Joel did as far as, you know, a lot of the JRPGs exceeding your expectations? Uh, you know what's really funny is Fire Emblem wasn't really on my radar. Um, I heard Jeremiah and, of course, Joel talking about it a lot, and it was uh, interesting, and I was listening to it, and I'm like, oh, okay, I never really played any of the Fire Emblem games. And the closer it got to being released, uh, Jeremiah kept talking about it more and more and more. And when we finally went out to try and find a copy, which I believe we talked about on a podcast before, um, we went a few different places, finally went to Target, and they had the box. It just come in and opened it. And Jeremiah's like, okay, we want one. And I'm like, no, 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 get two, get two. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, it's finally played off. And you've actually finished the game as well, is that correct? Yeah, I have done one playthrough, which I spent a lot of time on. And then even after beating the game, I went back into that playthrough to finish up some of the relationship stuff, just the fun stuff in it, and I've started a second playthrough, but because of different things, like our trip to San Diego, and then of course Luigi's Mansion came out, I've been playing that, so my DS is a little tied up at the moment, I I still want to go back and play it, but I have to hold back. <laughs> Fair enough. Now Jeremiah, getting into the whole issue regarding JRPGs, as Joel's talking about, uh, and how... Um, the marketing for JRPGs might have um, waned a little bit as far as in this generation. Um, 
do you see any point in time, uh, because Nino Kuni and, and Fire Emblem Awakening, uh, both those games have reignited at least a, a great, a good interest in JRPGs. Do you see anything point last year um, where it might have kicked it up, or do you see a point in the console generation that's per se even further? Do you see a game that might have actually um, started the downfall of JRPGs? Do you think there was any one point in time where it, where it um, started to slide, or do you see one point in time specifically? Do you see where it started to pick up? Well, it's it's funny. It's kind of uh, kind of piggybacking on what uh, Joel was saying, where uh, you know this you know current uh, console generation, they you know they didn't really have the the money to produce those same kind of you know games. I mean, JRPGs are long. Um, I mean, it's part of what makes them good is you know the story in them. Um, you know, you you pretty much invest yourself into that game for you know a good you know week or two at least uh, to get through it. Um, and yeah, they, it just wasn't really feasible for them to, you know, push out the titles that they were, you know, pushing out before. And, and I think that's really, you know, the main problem. There are still some some good games here and there, um, but like, you know, a lot of the ones that did come out, you know, like for example, Eternal Sonata. Uh, although I did like that game overall, um, you know, it was one of the earlier RPGs that came out on the 360, and then you know later the PS3. Uh, you know, suffered from, you know, a few problems here and there. And, you know, if you if you were to stack it against other, you know, RPGs from the previous generation, you know, it doesn't really stack up as well. Uh, because, you know, they had to cut corners to, you know, keep the productions, you know, production costs down. So I think that's really probably the main downfall. Um, and you can kind of see it now with Squaresoft, uh, you know, just pumping loads and loads of money into these Final Fantasy titles, which, you know, we'll touch into later, but, uh, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of money into these games, and, you know, if they're not selling as well, then, you know, that's that's a big uh, big risk right there. D- definitely, I, I and I want to touch on it later on regarding the Final Fantasy series, because actually, in my own opinion, from seeing it from a little bit more of an outsider's perspective... I think that was one of the key reasons for the fall was uh, was Final Fantasy series and and the you know inherent expectations and lack of success ultimately for that for those games. But like I said, we'll touch on those later. Um, what I wanted to ask more of uh, as well, seeing how like like I said, this wasn't overnight as far as the success for both Nino Kuni and also Fire Emblem, uh, Joel. Um, some of the events that took place in 2012, in my opinion, might have set up for the success of those two titles. Do you think at all um, the campaigns to get the the JRPGs, like, for instance, one of Jeremiah's favorites, Xenoblade Chronicles, to get those, I believe there was three titles involved that were to get them localized and be able to, to ship over to the Europe to Europe and also the uh, North America, do you think that start kind of kickstarted a an interest by a larger base of customers in JRPGs? Uh, yeah. So what you're referring to is Operation Rainfall. Uh, it was a, pro- a kind of a community thing that sprouted up when there were European localizations for three games: Xenoblade, uh, The Last Story, and Pandora's Tower. Uh, these were games that had English translations, but Nintendo of America didn't seem to have any interest in bringing them over here. So a, a bunch of people got together on the Internet, and they petitioned, and they kind of rallied together, and they got the word out there. And, yes, I definitely think that that helped spark something, especially considering, like, you know, you were talking about Xenoblade Chronicles. Like, that game, when that came out, like, it was kind of like the Nino Kuni thing, mm-hmm. where... Um, people were excited again. They were like, man, where where have JRPGs been? This is amazing. Like, this is one of the best JRPGs that I've played in the past decade. And, you know, there was this whole zeitgeist that built up around it. And I, I definitely think the Operation Rainfall thing has something to do with it. And that community is still around, and they still play a big part in trying to to bring more games over here and kind of spread the word and and have a kind of community hub for all these JRPG fans that are in these different parts of the world where 
you know, there, we're still not seeing everything come out of Japan. So, uh, yeah, I think something like that definitely helped re-spark a lot of people's fire for um, the genre, you know? Oh, no, I, that's, I, I was hoping that, that from from uh, your perspective that, that I was somewhat, you know, correct in that situation. I mean, I, I just from, like I said, from an outsider's perspective, I saw that um, um, effort with Operation Rainfall to get these JR, great JRPGs uh, to a broader audience. And I think it did catch on with a lot of organizations and, and news organizations and whatnot um, to bring more uh, JRPGs back into the light, back into the fold, um, and to make them a little bit more appealing uh, to, a, you know, like, like I was saying, a little bit more broader base of customers. Uh, Jeremiah, you had a little bit more to touch on this subject? Well, yeah, I just wanted to say how um, with JRPGs, like, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned way earlier how it has such a devoted following. Um, I think that's really the main thing with JRPGs is it's pretty much the same following. Um, and those people that are really into our uh, JRPGs, um, they know which, you know, which titles to look out for for the most part. Um, so they're going to, you know, be playing those hidden gems that, you know, don't get the light of day that, you know, Xenoblade from, you know, Operation Rainfall got. Um, but the nice thing about that is it did help, you know, give, you know, a lot of advertising for those games. Um, and, you know, brought those games to light so that more people, you know, knew about them. Okay, fair enough. So we've got a little bit of broader audience going to 2013 that, you know, we all feel helped kickstart um, the great games uh, such as Fire Emblem and Nino Kuni. Uh, Steph, um, do you see maybe a little bit broader future um, possibly even going to somewhat in, back into the mainstream uh, JRPGs um, as far as sales are concerned, or do you see it just still maybe slightly broad, broadening its market base, but still staying, staying somewhat into, um, I don't want to say niche uh, per se, but, well, I guess there's better, no better way to say it, but into it, uh, to a, you know, so keeping it within a niche genre. That Operation Rainfall really did show developers that uh, there is an audience for JRPGs in America um, or in North America. They, you know, went through so much effort to get these games that we wanted. So hopefully, I I hope personally that they're going to try and release more of the JRPGs coming out um, in North America instead of you know keeping them sequestered in Japan and maybe Europe gets them. I don't know if it will go back to being completely mainstream. I think it is kind of an acquired taste, uh, but I would like to see it because I enjoy them, and I would love if, you know, we don't have to sit and wait and hope, like, oh, my God, please, please, please let them release that here. I really want to play it, but I, I just please let them release it. Now, well, just by that, I, you know, if I was a publisher, I, you know, I've got to do it then got to start releasing all these games just because, you know, you're asking, you're saying please. But uh, uh, going on that, Joel, um, I want to ask you quickly, um, if, if you do not think uh, for any reason that uh, JRPGs will not find a broader audience, what would be the reason why you don't think it might touch on a broader audience, uh, you know, later this year or, or going forward, at least in the short term? I think the biggest obstacle for JRPGs becoming, like, really relevant, really mainstream again is just how much the the gaming audience has changed now. Um, you know, there's obviously these big elephants in the rooms of, like, oh, first-person shooters, you know, modern military shooters, and then there's the kind of uh, free-to-play or otherwise really cheap iOS and mobile games and a lot of people, that's as far as their interest goes. Whereas back in the day when JRPGs were really in the mainstream, like, that was kind of it. That was like, those were the games you had to have a PlayStation for, that you had to have a Super Nintendo for. Whereas now that landscape has changed so much. Um, I, I do feel that, like, since there is this 
you know, large audience, at least large core audience of people that still want this kind of experience, that it will continue being a, a genre that is a foundation of gaming. But yeah, like I said, it just has those obstacles to overcome to ever become this big headline thing again, you know? Oh, absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree with you more on that. I just, um, I know there's a big obstacle to overcome, but um, I, I, you know, a lot, not too long ago around the RPG genre as a whole was thought of uh, as being only a niche genre, but, uh, you know, games such as uh, Mass Effect, um, the Elder Scrolls series have, have really uh, put those games back into the forefront and shown that, that players do want to play for an extensive amount of time and, and they do have the attention span to do so. Um, Steph, I, I want to ask real quick, um, or, or elaborate how you will on it. Um, I want to talk about the another uh, elephant in the room when you're talking about uh, JRPGs, not to steal Joel's thunder on that, but uh, Final Fantasy and the Final Fantasy series, which he alluded to was such a big part of the history of previous generations of consoles. I wrote a uh, article back on my Yale Civil Slivs blog, uh, and also was Point Counterpoint, um, that I thought maybe the Final Fantasy series uh, should be either retooled or or be reborn into something else, just because I thought the declining successes of of Final Fantasy Thirteen's, you know, dash one, dash two, um, and obviously the the Final Fantasy Fourteen uh, debacle um, has has put the Final Fantasy series in a tarnished light. Um, if you could touch on, as best you want, uh, want to, uh, regarding Final Fantasy, um, what do you feel is still left for the series? Do you still think it could play a large role in the series, or do you think it needs to be reworked or scrapped in some form or fashion? Uh, well, let me start off with, I never had a PS2 growing up, so I didn't really play many of the Final Fantasy. Um, I played one of them, and Jeremiah always has to tell me which one it is, because I can never remember what number it was. And I don't blame you, because uh, to, to the casual players as a whole, sometimes that, you know, I, do I just have to remember 7 and 10, and, and that's it, or, you know, not really go into the same series? Uh, Jeremiah, do you get that a lot from, from when you were working at the video game store or whatnot? Is that... Uh, there were issues with people that just were only concerned about just a couple iterations in the series? Well, with Final Fantasy, uh, it kind of depended on which was your first one. Um, I know, like, me and Joel have kind of gone back and forth about um, our favorites. Like, my favorite is four, uh, his favorite is six. Um, another popular favorite for usually, you know, younger um, kid, uh, you know, they were younger when they played it. Um, you know, Final Fantasy VII, you know, was the first one on PS1. Um, so usually, you know, if you were a kid and that was the current system, like, that was probably the first one that you played. So a lot of it really just kind of depends on, you know, what the current one was at the time. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know. For me personally, like, um, I don't like any of the newer ones. So I think they definitely need to be retooled. I think a lot of the problem with Final Fantasy now is that instead of trying to make, you know, a, a game people are going to want to go out and buy, they're sort of just riding on, it's Final Fantasy and you want Final Fantasy, right? Oh my god, it's Final Fantasy, there's a new Final Fantasy game and everyone needs to come buy it. It's kind of how it feels to me and just, it always sticks up in my head that they announced, um, what was it, 14, I believe, before the one that they were already working on was finished. And I was like, they they don't even know how this one is going to sell when it's released, and they're already making another one because just, oh, it's Final Fantasy. We know it's going to sell really well. But that's think, just the thing. It just Most players are confused, especially when you throw in a Dash 1 and a Dash 2 um, into it. That makes it even more confusing to players as far as is concerned. Uh, to casual players as far and I know a game in order to be successful these days has to reach and attract a casual market does it not Steph uh, yeah it does um, because there there's still a lot of core gamers but 
to be on the same level as the games that are becoming, you know, super popular, you got to be able to get that casual audience or you're not going to put numbers that are as good as um, expectations. Fair enough. Now, Joel, uh, I want to ask you about Final Fantasy, um, and and do you still think it has the legs to play a major role uh, in the future of JRPGs, or is it something that that's going to continue its downward slide? Um, obviously, the online version, uh, the free to which is now free to play, or is it or is it pay, still pay service? Is it still pay service, or is it gone to free to play? For which one? Isn't it fourteen? That's online. Yeah, it's it's a pay to pay to play. Oh, still pay to play. Okay. Yeah, and so is eleven. Eleven is also still pay to play. Which yeah. didn't they? I think they even just made another expansion for. There's it. a new expansion just came out for eleven. Yeah. So, and see, that's that's what's so confusing to a casual player is just which one's current, which one's not. Um, all they've heard is the bad and negative out of fourteen. Um, 13 is is set into two different parts. Um, it, to like I said, to a casual player, it can be quite confusing. But Joel, uh, I want to ask you: Do you think that if if Square Enix can ever get everything right and, and centered around the Final Fantasy universe, do you think it still has the the advantage, or do you still think it has the power to to become a major force in video games? I definitely think that there's potential for Square Enix to salvage Final Fantasy and get it back on track. Um, I don't know if it'll ever be as successful as it was, but I know that there's things they could do that at least, as far as a certain audience was concerned, they would be doing okay by. And some of those things might be, I mean, you know, we just had this big shakeup at Square Enix with... Yoichi Wada step, stepping down as CEO. Yes. I can't, I can't remember who uh, replaced him. He was uh, from Taito, I think. Uh, and uh, hopefully that they'll begin a restructure. They'll begin do, doing something else with Final Fantasy. But in my mind, what you have to do there is, I mean, some people kind of joke about this, but I, I think a reboot of it, like calling it the Final Fantasy or just Final Fantasy, you know, starting over, dropping the number conventions, and just being like, yeah, this is the new Final Fantasy game starting there. That might help. Uh, um, if I may interrupt, I think it's Yosuke Mas- uh, Matsuda has uh, taken the post as uh, CEO okay. at this present time. Um, so, yeah, uh, as I was saying about what they could do to, to reboot Final Fantasy, you know, start over, call it Final Fantasy or the Final Fantasy, whatever. And uh, I think the biggest thing they could do is get back to the series roots. Like, I think the biggest problem with Final Fantasies in the modern era was that they kept shaking it up, changing it up too much. Like, there's a very diverse set of opinions about is Final Fantasy twelve any good? Is it terrible? And same goes for thirteen and the MMOs and stuff. Um, you either love them or hate them. But I think if they got back to what Final Fantasy was, going back to that four through you know, four through nine era of Final Fantasies, I I think they could get people back in. Um, maybe not spend an entire console generation refining the graphics. Maybe chill out a little bit on that and just focus on telling a good story with, like, refined mechanics of the of those classic games and stuff. I, I think there's totally the potential for Final Fantasy to come back in a big way if Square doesn't drop the ball on it still. Do you have confidence in that, especially uh, in light of the shakeup? Do you think they're going to be able to assemble, assemble a team that's uh, capable enough or do you, uh, to you know like to like I said uh, ultimately put out a product that's going to you know uh set the market back on its ear again like Final Fantasy uh like Final Fantasy should uh I want to believe <laughs> that's my <laughs> biggest problem like you can ask Jeremiah you can ask any of my other friends that know me I give Square way too much of the benefit of the doubt. I'm always like, okay, maybe they'll get it next time. Maybe they'll get it next time. So I'm going to say here publicly that this is Square's last shot with me. Like, you have a chance to do something good here. Just do it right. Like, kick Tetsuya Nomura out. Have him stop 
being in charge of that series and get back on track with what Final Fantasy should be. Well, I, I, I'm also hopeful of that. And, you know, I know as far as Square Enix on the North American releases with the Hitman series and the uh, Tomb Raider series, even though I think they're both marketed very well, um, I think they're both very, very good games as well. I, I, uh, they just, for some reason, did not meet the, the expectations of the company as a whole. Um, I just think that's more as a translation of the, the video mark, game market as, as a whole at this point in time, but that um, is another issue. Um, as regards to Square Enix as a company as a whole, I just I see some instability. Uh, I would like to share your optimism, and I'm hopeful to share your optimism on Square Enix, but with, with uh, a lot of the Japanese companies have had a lot of instability of late with, with Capcom, um, also as well with you know with Sony itself and uh, I'm hopefully things are, are looking better now that Kaz Harai is uh, in the uh, um, in the role of CEO and that obviously since his PlayStation background it, you know it'll be more of, of a, uh, a gaming uh, to the forefront and obviously with a PS4 on the horizon um, so I'm hopeful of that I just I, you know, as you have seen, I've seen a lot of errors uh, that have been made over the past, uh, this past generation with a lot of the Japanese companies that, that I'm hoping that they will eradicate going forward. Uh, Steph, I want to ask you uh, then, um, back going to the games uh, of, of this year and 2013 and going forward, uh, what are some of the games of 2013, the JRPGs um, primarily, that you're looking forward to, um, that people should be aware of and, and should be looking out for, um, for the rest of the year that you, that you know? Um, well, as far as, uh, JRPGs go specifically, I'm definitely looking forward to Tales of Zillia, um, the next, uh, Tales game. I didn't, Play many of them. Actually, I played um, the first one. I played was Tales of Grace of F, and then I went back and played Tales of Abyss. But like ten minutes into Tales of Grace of F, I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! And I had to start like yelling at Jeremiah, like, why haven't you told me about these games? Ah. <laughs> so, um, Your fault, my, Jeremiah. My number one JRPG uh, that I'm looking forward to is uh, the Tales of Zillia. Fair enough. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, what games, what JRPGs primarily are you looking forward to to the rest of the year that people need to become aware of uh, and put on their radar? Well, it was mentioned earlier, but um, Pandora's Tower is one that I'm looking forward to. I mean, it's a Wii, you know, game. Uh, but, you know, obviously other than that, I'm amazingly super, super hyped for uh, the next Xenoblade, which is Right now, just X or, you know, whatever the heck they want to call it. I don't give a heck, you know, about any of that. Um, just, I want that game. Uh, so I'm, I'm already sold on that one. And semi-cheating because it doesn't exist. Uh, but I want a sequel, prequel, whatever, to World Ends With You. Uh, come on, Square. Let's, uh, you know, finish finish doing your your restructuring and give me that, and you'll be back in my good graces. Fair enough. Do you think it um, the first one was successful enough to warrant either a prequel, sequel, whatnot? Do you think Do you think the previous iterations, as far as it's concerned, were you know were good enough to warrant? Uh, I think the game is definitely good enough. Okay. Um, it, it just I don't know how decently sold. I don't think it sold super decently because uh, I don't I don't know how well they marketed it over here at least. Um, like I know in Japan there was like a special edition DS like you know big bundle thing with it. Um, but uh, I mean I know that all the people that did play it uh, loved it. I mean there's a, a slight bit of um, you know learning curve as far as the controls go. Um, but there are some things in the game to kind of help you along with that. Uh, but, I, yeah, I think it's definitely definitely good enough to get another game in that series. Fair if enough. I could, uh, interject there real quick about, uh, in regards to the world that ends with you. Oh, no, go ahead, right? Go right ahead. Um, yeah, they, they did release an iOS version not too long ago, like sometime last year, Um and so it was at least popular enough for them to bring that back up and, and put it on the 
the mobile marketplace where they do a lot of business now. And also at the end of the iOS version, they alluded to some sort of prequel or sequel or something with a new character and a new set of days, which is a big part of the story. And that's that's something I want to ask you. Do you see the mobile market being somewhere where a lot of these JRPGs, especially the older ones, uh, because I do have seen, you know, and we've reported here at yourgamesource.com, or if you like us on Facebook, uh, you can catch our news feed, which also has reported the same things as well. A a number of these uh, older JRPGs that have been re-released and given a new life on on iOS and Android markets. Uh, do you see that as a, a, a major plus going forward for the JRPG scene, Joel? Um, I would I would say personally I hope that's not the case because I don't like the mobile platforms that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely, like, it's cool that these games are getting new life on other platforms where more people can can have access to them, and with stuff like the Ouya and other of these console-based, you know, uh, mobile platforms coming out, like, that might be a better place for me to experience them on with buttons and a controller and stuff, so that would be okay if they went that direction. But no one likes virtual buttons. Yeah, the virtual virtual D-pad and stuff like that is is really poor. I can't imagine playing a 40, 50-hour JRPG like that. Um, But also, as far as Square Enix is on their mobile, uh, as far as their mobile division goes, uh, the pricing is all out of whack with what's expected on that platform. So, I don't, I don't know what to say about that either. Well, because I've seen, uh, as you, you're correct in alluding on that, because I've seen fifteen dollar, twenty dollar price tags attached to it. Right. And when, when you've got games, you know, selling for ninety nine cents and and you know five to ten dollars that are that give you quite an experience. I understand that's a, a, a quite a big thing to, come, uh, to overcome, especially for something that's that's a, a re-energized version for the mobile uh, right. platforms of, of something that's not even, you know, something that's, that's a current product. Um, but it does, as you alluded to, I think, kindle the fire, so to speak, for some new iterations. Um, uh, don't, don't you agree, Jeremiah? Yeah, I think it's a decent platform for it, um, but I mean, I, I don't think it's any different from what they were already doing with the, um, you know, the portables. Like, I mean, the DS saw tons and tons and tons of RPGs, um, and the 3DS is, you know, looking like it's, you know, starting to get some of those now too. Um, PSP had, you know, its share of some decent ones along the way, also, you know, although not quite as many as I would have liked, but uh, and I, I think. You know, it's just it's just another way for them to, you know, put out a not so you know AAA pricing game, um, with still what makes a JRPG good is the story and the characters, you know, and the world that you know they're in, um, and that's really the the most important thing for those games. I also think uh, when it comes to uh, the pricing of some of these older. Uh, JRPGs on still on the handheld formats. Uh, I know with uh, my time with the Vita, uh, a lot of the pricing, uh, especially the PSP uh, uploads of some of these JRPGs, was still highly suspect. Jeremiah, did you get a chance to to try that out and see in the marketplace a lot of the titles for both you know the DS and and the Vita and see their pricing still a little bit high on those? I know I I messed with the Vita for the most part. Uh, For us, like. It's, I mean, it's a little... They're high. high. They're they're high. I, I mean... Um, I don't know. It's just, a lot of those games are still fairly new, I guess. Um, but, but the ones for the PSP that, that you and I know, we can go and walk over to our favorite video game store and buy used copy and used versions of for, for substantially less. But to to download it, uh, a, a box-free copy... It seems to be substantially more. Do you think that's fair, or do you think that's something? Well, I that... definitely would enjoy them being cheaper, um, and I don't think I've bought any of them. Um, but like, there is one that uh, that came out. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the Ragnarok Online um, series. Uh, it's kind of a, a guilty pleasure of mine. And there was a uh, strategy RPG of it that came out. Um, you know, you could download it. I mean, it is a new game. But it still came out at, you know, 35 bucks basically, for a, you know, not quite as uh, 
you know, high production values as, you know, a beta game, obviously, because it's a PSP game. So that was a little discouraging. Um, but I think what kind of gets me is the PS1 classics that are still, you know, 15, 20, 25 bucks or something. When and to me, don't get me those, wrong. Those are old. I mean, I, those, those should be down there more. When I saw that on the marketplace, I was just saying that this is just ridiculous. I mean, they don't... I do they expect to sell them or do they not expect to sell them? Um, I think they, you know, I don't know about uh, you, Joel. When you're you're cruising through the marketplace on the DS, uh, is there similar uh, pricing concerns that you have when when searching for maybe some older JRPGs? Um, I don't know. It's depending on the market. It's it's not too bad. Um. Like, I don't, I think the the big thing here is that you guys talking about, like, the PS1 classics and stuff being overpriced, like, in a lot of cases, like, physical copies of those games even used are hard to find. Like, uh, lately I've, I've experienced this with, like, uh, Fire Emblem uh, Path of Radiance, which is uh, uh, one of my favorite Fire Emblem games. And I don't actually own a copy, so I'm looking to borrow a copy from Jeremiah that he's owned for however long since it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to buy a copy of it for myself, um, used, it's about a hundred dollars, you know. Yeah. For a, a used open copy of that game, so if you were to tell me that like I could pay twenty dollars on, on the eShop or something to buy that game and, and own it digitally, I I would be okay with that. Okay. But there are others that um, um, on the marketplace I just I just see that are, are disproportionately priced. I just um, and, and and like like we we're saying, uh, even on the the mobile outlets that that if they're ext- still kept at a high price, they're not going to be able to attract, a, in my opinion, a wider audience, especially the what we're used to when um, you know with the advent of Steam and. And the iOS market and the Android market, where you can get so many things at, at a substantially lower price. Well, I think the main problem for um, you know the pricing structure of that stuff is those prices are made by you know their marketing team or you know whatever team is doing it. But those aren't gamers that are doing that. They don't really know how rare, like you know, like for example, Path, you know, Path of Radiance, you know, is or you know, what some other game that they're putting on there that, you know, might be super expensive or super cheap. And, uh, I mean, if they maybe knew some of that stuff a little bit better, like maybe the pricing would be a little more proportionate. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it's, it's, it's different. And I really hope that with, you know, Final Fantasy, or the, I don't know why I just said that, uh, with the PlayStation 4, uh, where they're wanting to go, you know, mainly digital, um, have this big shop and everything. I really hope that they've gotten it together by then, um, that we see, you know, better price games, um, sales such as how Steam does it. Because Steam, I mean, they've been doing it for a while, and, and I think it's probably because those people play games. They know, you know, what they're doing, and uh, those those deals are freaking great. Now, uh, I uh, want to touch on uh, a couple last things. Um, and, and once again, this is the world-famous YourGameSource.com uh, Game Source podcast. Uh, this episode, uh, number 66, I'm sorry, uh, is touching on um, JRPGs and exactly where they're going to go and where they're heading. Um, also, I did want to touch on as well uh, to this year were two of the greatest hits that have come out in quite some time and two of the best-selling JRPGs, at least in the European North American markets, to come out in quite some time. Uh, we talked about it earlier extensively. Uh, there's also a review that you can catch uh, for both uh, on our site at yourgamesource.com. But, uh, Joel, I will start with you. Uh, again, I w- I'm hoping to get uh, to the player uh, and to the listeners out there, excuse me, um, the fascination that, that all three of you have with Fire Emblem. Um, and I know you touched and alluded to a little bit earlier, but I want you to go in, in, into your thoughts as far as your emotions as you were playing that game in, in its whole and in its entirety and, and what you've really gotten out of the 200-plus hours that you've played into the game. 
um, what I've really gotten out of Fire Emblem. Yes, I mean, what um, as far as being it, it's one probably from from reading what you have uh, uh, put out there, one of your you know most valued and treasured experiences that you've had in, in quite some time. Am I not correct? Am I not mistaken in that sentiment? Yeah, or? that's that's one hundred percent correct. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, you know, with with all the reviews that came out to Bioshock Infinite, uh, my first thought was, okay, yeah, it's it's great, and we're scoring it great, and and everybody seems to be liking it. But uh, Fire Emblem right now still seems to be, uh, at least in this part of the uh, part of the woods, still uh, still the king of the hill. Uh, but that's like I said, it's early, so we won't yeah. touch on the game of the year till later. But I, I just. I want really want the people to get a grasp of exactly uh, uh, what makes Fire Emblem uh, Awakening click so well um, with all you three. And I wanted Joel if you could just tell me a little bit more exactly why Fire Emblem is just so darn good. For me, Fire Emblem Awakening is like the complete package. Coming at it as someone who's a, a fan of JRPGs, strategy RPGs, and the Fire Emblem series in general, it has all the stuff I want. Plus, it also has all these new features and accommodations and stuff that will be appealing to new players. So what you're getting with Fire Emblem Awakening is you're, you have a beautiful-looking, even considering the hardware, you have a beautiful-looking game with wonderful cinematics. You have an, an amazingly beautiful soundtrack. You have this great story that has seen, that has excellent writing, that has been localized by some of the best, 8-4, as I've talked about in my review, did the localization on this. They've gotten the writing across. It's so funny and clever and charming that you just you, it's hard not to fall in love with what's going on with these characters and the game itself. And you have the the tactical action that the series is known for. So you just you combine all that together and you have what is essentially the perfect slice to present to someone and be like here, this is Fire Emblem. This is a must-own for your Nintendo 3DS. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty appealing to me. Uh, now, Steph, you're also on your second playthrough, like uh, you had stated previous, uh, previously. What, again, appeals so much? Is there anything in particular? Was it a broad-based opinion? Or, or really, just truly, what makes it click with you so well as also? Well, I really love the story, first off. It presents just such a great story to go through. And then, even beyond that, when you play through second, third, fourth time, the way that you can um, pair uh, characters into teams, and then eventually um, they will get married, as you pair two people together more and more, their relationship improves, and you get these short little skits that are hilarious or they're they're great to see and you see as their relationship evolves so each time you play through even though you're playing the same game again you're seeing a new storyline as it goes through and that like I want to play through so many times just so I can see all the different ways that I could pair everybody up um, but you have so many options when you play the game especially your main character can be any class it's as your character can be a male or a female, the only restrictions you get are if you have a male, you cannot be the female-specific classes and vice versa. Otherwise, your main characters, whoever you want them to be, you can, you know, branch out, play however you feel like playing. And each time you play through, you're not stuck in that one character exists. You can decide, well, I had Chrome be a, a lord my last playthrough. That wouldn't be that, but... You can decide, you know what, I want him to be a caster this time. I want him to be, I want him to be something else. Um, you have so many options in this game. It just, you can, you can choose literally everything you want to do. Um, it looks amazing. Like Joel said, the localization is great. It's the whole story, the chit chat back and forth between characters. It, it's just, it's such a fun game to play. Like I just, I want to go play it again now, but I can't <laughs> I have to finish Luigi. Fair enough. And last but certainly not least, uh, Jeremiah, your thoughts on, on Fire Emblem um, and, and what it's meant to you uh, 
um, because obviously as well uh, as Joel and Stephanie has indicated, it is definitely one of your your choices so far as uh, one of the best games of the year as well. Yeah, well, I haven't put in quite as much time as Joel. Uh, I've got about 182 and a half hours in. Um, It's actually uh, sitting open in front of me right now. it's. I, I mean, I still can't put it down. Like so you right said now. you're you're 18 hours behind. Uh, just about, yeah. Oh, crack at it, man! Crack at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, um, and like I know Joel's played um, at least a couple more Fire Emblems than me. Um, I mean, I've started with the the first one that was on Game Boy Advance, and I've kind of played a, a scattered amount of them. Um, not all of them quite to completion, although I've completed. Uh, at least two or three other ones. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm a decent fan of the series already. Um, but it was this game specifically that really uh, clicked with me for you know a lot of the reasons that Joel was saying. You know, it's it's a complete package. It's uh, you know it's more JRPG um, oriented than, than strategy oriented. I mean, there's still I mean it is still a strategy RPG, but uh, you know it's a little more about you know you can grind up your characters. Um, mold them into however you want. Like Steph was saying, you know, you can make them whatever classes you want. Um, but really, I mean, kind of similar to what she was saying, the support conversations between the characters are probably still uh, my favorite part of the whole game. Um, and it's funny because you can, I mean, you could literally right now, if you want to, just go onto YouTube, you know, type in two characters and look at their whole string of conversations. But uh, there's just something about playing the game and getting you know, having the characters by, you know, fight, you know, side by side and and learn, you know, get to know each other and whatnot and, like, seeing the conversations develop yourself that is a lot of fun. Um, you know, and like Joel was saying, the dialogue is super great. Um, I had a lot of, uh, you know, laugh out loud moments and, like, you know, a lot of, you know, genuine awe, you know, type of touching moments. Um and right now, uh, I'm going through a lunatic playthrough, which uh, is the hardest difficulty you can go through uh, when you start the game. Um, after you beat lunatic, there's a lunatic plus, which not sure if I'm going to uh, attempt that one or not, especially since I'm still kind of maxing out this playthrough. Um, but the other thing that I'm really into is just maxing out as much as possible uh, your units to be you know, just this unstoppable force of, of just crazy, overpowered characters. Well, uh, that does it for me as far as uh, I'm getting, you know, Fire Emblem after that. I mean, that that's uh, a great testimonial from all three of you on the game. And I think I want to close with, with one more question to each of you. And, and again, I want to thank each and every one of you for being on the podcast. I think I'll start with you, Steph. For those people out there, they're listening that are still maybe haven't dipped their foot in the water when it comes to the world of JRPGs, what do you think is the best words you can find or best thing you can say about getting people involved with JRPGs and why should they get involved in, into playing and dipping their toe into the water, uh, into the world of uh, JRPGs? Um, for me personally, the appeal of JRPGs is the story based there's something about the genre of JRPGs that they really pump so much into the story and character development, and it is a, always a great experience, and you get to see characters evolve. It's just, it's it's really the story. You will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPGs have that. It's, they have that story. Okay. Now, Jeremiah, you had, as well as Steph, uh, an extensive background in the video game industry beforehand. What, when you were talking to people about getting involved with JRPGs who might have been, had some trepidation, uh, what would you say is is the, the main reason why people should get involved more and become more in, into uh, the JRPG genre? Uh, well, it's funny. I mean, for me, there's there's a little bit of nostalgia there, uh, too, uh, because when I first got into RPGs, like, uh, I remember seeing a friend playing it and seeing, like, these big, you know, detailed bosses that you're fighting. I mean, obviously, it's a 
turn-based battle, um, but, like, those were the games where you really saw, like, these giant, you know, bosses and stuff, and it wasn't until, you know, quite a bit later um, that other games started having, like, really big bosses um, and stuff like that, uh, you know, where games evolved to the point where they were able to do that, um, and there's just, there's so many things that, like, RPGs in general kind of, um, you know, helped games in general to evolve, and, you know, obviously story is, you know, easily the biggest part of it, and, uh, you know, like Steph was saying, that's really, you know, what you're getting uh, the most of when you're getting into a JRPG or, you know, Western RPG is also the same, um, you know, it's all about the story. And last, but uh, definitely not least, Joel, I want you to touch on, um, I thought that share this last part with you on, on why people should really get more involved being someone who's been so affectionate towards JRPGs over the years. Why should people become, even go back into it if they haven't been involved with it for a long time as far as uh, getting involved with JRPGs? Why should they get involved back into the water with it again? Or why should they uh, discover why JRPGs are so great? For me, with JRPGs, like, for me personally, I, I love every facet of the genre. I love the mechanics. I, I love the, the style that comes typically with the, you know, the, the Eastern aesthetic for, for characters and worlds that are brought in these games. And also things like music and soundtracks are all great reasons to be into JRPGs, but I have to echo what Steph and and Jeremiah have said, and that is story. And I can't think of anything more important than the stories that are told in JRPGs, because for me, like, I got into JRPGs, I, I was four years old, I got a free copy of, of Dragon Warrior 1, from signing up to Nintendo Power. It was, like, one of the first games I've ever played. Uh, could not read at all. And my one, my my obsession with the game was so powerful that I had my mother and my grandmother help me to learn to read so I could read the story and, and dialogue that was taking place in this game that I can barely comprehend at the time. Amazing. And That's awesome. That's awesome so, to hear. So... Going forward, it's always been about the story for me, where, like, games are coming to a point now where other genres are getting really good at telling stories, but I think the amount of time you spend building up relationships with characters and the length of the campaign, the length of the story that you experience in a JRPG is something special that should not be missed by anyone, because I can tell you right now that in the the list of of my favorite games of all times, most of them are JRPGs, and a lot of the reasons those are my favorites are because they had stories that touched me in ways where I felt emotions, a, a wide range of emotions for what was happening with the characters and what was happening in the story, and I don't think anybody should miss that. And I think that despite where we are with JRPGs, there's still a lot of interesting stories to be told and experienced. I uh, couldn't have put it better myself from all three of you. And, Joel, uh, you know, I know you were talking about The World Ends With You, but uh, I know there were some other titles this year uh, that you were also looking forward to tremendously, and, and they've seen, I know if they've checked out the Nesta site, uh, yourgamesource.com, I know they've seen a partial number of those games on your list. So what JRPGs appeal to you primarily for the rest of this year? Uh, yeah, so... Most of my most anticipated games list is JRPGs, but I just want to highlight the top four on my list real quickly. Um, first is Bravely Default Flying Fairy, which is a strange name, I know. Um, this is from Square Enix, and I think that it was just revealed that it will be finally getting a localization and coming out here. And uh, what I can say about uh, Bravely Default is that this is kind of what I envision when I think of what they could do with Final Fantasy, because this is, in everything but the name, a traditional Final Fantasy game. It's reminiscent of Final Fantasy V, and there's been nothing but praise for the game in, from Japan and people who have imported the game. 
And you said four of them, correct? Uh, yeah, four. Uh, so the the second one I'll I'll touch on is uh, Shin Megami Tensei Four, uh, which is if you're familiar with the series, uh, probably most familiar with the Persona side of the franchise. Um, this is going back to the the core uh, series, uh, which the last game in that was Nocturne for PS2, which was a fantastic game with an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, I, yeah, I expect nothing less from this game, and it's been announced to be coming out in North America sometime this summer. So, looking forward to that, too. Um, the third game that I'd like to talk about is uh, Dragon's Crown, which is the upcoming uh, VanillaWare title. It's uh, not so much a JRPG as it is a sort of uh, side-scrolling brawler with RPG elements in it, but uh, VanillaWare is kind of famous for creating these beautiful 2D environments with these wonderful character models and stuff, and we've heard about Dragon's Crown for a couple years now, and finally it's going to be coming out for PlayStation 3 and the Vita this summer as well. And uh, the last game I'd like to talk about is a bit far off in the future and is my latest obsession, but uh, Dragon Dragoon 3, which uh, the series was known as Drakengard over here in the States. Uh, the reason to be excited about this game is that it has the, uh, the core team that worked on one of my favorite games of all time, Nier. Um, and this is a game coming out for PS3, uh, that has the same writer, uh, the same person doing the music, uh, and the character designer from earlier in the Dragon Guard series. Everything I've seen about this game so far, it sounds amazing. I know it's not going to be for everyone, but for me, that's kind of my number one game to be excited about right now. So that's and that's a PS3 exclusive. That's is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Now, I want to ask you real quick, um, are you excited for the next generation when it comes to JRPGs and the first JRPGs that will be, that will be played or be made for the next generation? Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens uh, with the next generation because um, if these companies can bring their A game, you know, like an Atlas or a Square Enix, or even, you know, if Capcom or Konami pull out some of their uh, retired JRPG series and Breath bring... Breath of Fire! Yes, Breath of Fire, as, as Jeremiah is saying, <laughs> on, on Capcom's side, if they could surprise us with, and here's Valkyrie Profile 3, Hrist, like, then that would be like, okay, I'm buying a PS4 on day one, I don't care how much it is, I have to own this. Um, I would love to see a, the big spectacle of JRPGs come back with all the amazing graphics and stuff. So, Well, sounds awesome. Um, so I definitely look forward to those titles, and I'm sure everybody is going to be able to look forward to those titles as well. If they have any more uh, ideas as far as what they want to look forward to, uh, they can just check out your page, The Nesta, on yourgamesource.com. Just been a tremendous podcast, and and if you want to find out more from all three, just head on over to www.yourgamesource.com. You'll find the page for the Nesta. You also find a page for Steph Tafu, and also you'll find Super Pouring, and my page as well. Yes, Elvis lives. Hopefully, you get a chance to stop by and read all we have to say on the world of video games. Plus, also as well, like us on Facebook, Game Source. Our YouTube page, which will be providing more videos to you, to you in the coming future, yourgamesource.com, spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Your Game Source on iTunes, in case you still use iTunes from there, still very popular. Um, our free mobile app, which you can actually either find on our Game Source page on Facebook and just click on the link there, or at www.yourgamesource.com. Just click on Chris's phrase, trying to uh, get at Marcus Phoenix. I think a pretty see it pretty clearly from there. Just click its face, and you can actually download uh, right away our uh, free mobile app. And also as well, uh, you can take a look at us as well on our forums. We'd like to, we'd love to hear your comments and feedback on our forums page um, at yourgamesource.com or as well, uh, email us at, you, at yourgamesource at yahoo.com. So I just want to send again, this is Yes, Elvis Lives. 
I want to thank everyone tonight for being a part of this podcast. I want to thank everyone out there for listening. Um, And to find out more, check us out at www.yourgamesource.com. So for me, yes, Elvis Lives, I want to say have a good one. And for Steph Tafu. Good night, everybody. For Super Pouring. Take care and keep playing. And also for the Nesta. Always be radical. Oh, good closing thoughts. All right. Once again, thank you for listening, and have a good one.